You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 19. Today, we're asking the question, is virtual reality safety training more effective? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. My name is Drew Ray, and I'm here with Dave Proven, and we're from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced every week, and the show notes can be found at safetyofwork.com. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to the safety of work or the work of safety, and we have a look at the evidence surrounding it. So, David, what's today's question? So thanks for taking the load on the intro there, Drew, and uh, mixing it up a little bit for episode 19. The question for this episode is, is virtual reality safety training more effective? Now, a few of our listeners have, have asked questions along the lines of what new emerging technologies are useful for safety, or is there anything innovative that you can talk about in the research in relation to safety? So, you know, to be a little bit specific, we thought, hey, well, virtual reality, it's, uh, it, it's getting a bit of uptake in modern workplaces and and in our general lives. So we thought that might be a good place to start. And um, last week we spoke about PowerPoint and, and had good fun with the PowerPoint episode. And so this week we thought, well, if we said last week that PowerPoint might be you know, not, not really effective because of concurrent information being presented to our, to our learners, then virtual reality is sometimes being heralded as a replacement for um, training or an enhancement of, of training. So we thought, hey, let's look at virtual reality and safety training and see whether it's more effective. And in fact, one of the studies that we'll talk about today is a direct comparison between virtual reality and PowerPoint as a training medium. But um, before we get to the studies, let's, let's do a bit of background. Drew, there's about 20 years of research into virtual reality and you know, virtual reality systems have come a long way in the last 20 years. And it's actually a real mixed bag of results. I usually get away with just grabbing one paper and um, and forming a question out of that and doing it. But I had to at least go to two papers today and I actually had to dig through a whole lot more just to try to make sure I wasn't going to present a finding that wasn't representative of the of the actual total literature. So do you want to, um, how much reading have you done in the virtual reality space? Well, I think the problem we're facing here, David, is that virtual reality, a lot of the promise is not in industrial applications it's in computer games. And so we're talking about a whole bunch of young, mostly male academics at a university who have discovered an excuse for playing computer games as part of their job. And so that's why we have so much research into virtual reality. I would argue it's also why we have so much research into robotics. Is you know, Researchers love having cool toys. And VR is a whole suite of good toys. So the first and most obvious one is the visual display. Um, and the idea here is that we're providing some sort of three-dimensional representation of an environment which is virtually created pretty much almost exactly like it is in a computer game, where we model the locations of objects. And then we've got a couple of different types of technologies with different graphic fidelity to present those objects to the user as if they are sitting in the middle of that environment. The difference for between a, a computer game on a screen and the headset is that in VR, it's more immersive. So there is a sense of feeling that you are there. 
And that's sort of the goal and something that they directly measure is that feeling of being immersed, that feeling that you're actually in a real environment. You know, it's fake, but it feels more real. We've usually got some way that you can maneuver around that environment. In movies and in books like Ready Player One, you've got these really sophisticated spherical treadmills so you can just do any human action and it gets replicated. We don't have that technology yet. Pretty much what you've got is some sort of hand controls. Sometimes they're glo haptic gloves, which can measure exactly where your hands are. Sometimes it's more like a uh, like mouse or little device that you hold that you can simulate walking forward with. Um, there aren't many that can fully capture your motion, but that's that's the goal is to actually have you be able to move around as if you're in the environment. So Drew, I'm not I'm not a gamer, but I do recall a few times during my PhD in the middle of the night when I'd sent you an email and you'd send me back a message saying that you'd uh, had a pretty productive day and you're rewarding yourself with an hour or two of video games at at midnight. So I've I've never actually had a VR headset on, but I'm going to assume that you have at some point in your life. The honest answer is. Not good ones. Uh, sometimes you go along to places that are doing public demonstrations, but to, you, the, yeah, VR doesn't exist in high quality for sitting at home. It's still quite an expensive technology. It's expensive, both the hardware itself to get, and you have to have the latest good quality because people learn from computer games what good looks like, and they hate being in really badly simulated environments. And the other thing is that creating the environment that you're in is actually a lot of work. You know, it costs as much to make a good computer game as it does to make a movie. And a lot of that is in the creation of the environments. Um, so creating something that is real enough to be in is very expensive. And a sort of central thing that's necessary to do research or to do training is that the users have to respond to the virtual environment in a very similar way to the way that they'd respond to the real environment. If the fact that it's fake causes them to act like it's fake, then it's not going to be useful for any sort of training or for data collection. Yeah, we spoke about that, Drew. I think it was episode 11 where we talked about the commercial fishing sea skippers and that, that early computer kind of simulation of making decisions to, uh, to safety over, over productions and, and those trade-offs. So, David, maybe you'd like to jump straight into the papers for today? Yeah, so Drew, like I said, I chose two papers, um, so I did a bit of work for this episode. And um, the first study was done in 2013, and we'll talk about the method and the findings. But based on that, I thought, no, actually, I've got to go and get something more more current that talks about what's happened between 2013 and now. And so I got an experiment which had, a, which had an expanded review section from 2019, just to make sure that we were going to represent the field, like I mentioned earlier. So if we talk about these two papers one at a time, and then sort of draw some general conclusions. Um, Drew, paper number one was titled Construction Safety Training Using Immersive Virtual Reality. Uh, it was authored by Sachs, Perlman and Barak, who are all based in Israel across two different universities. And interestingly, the authors are from either the Faculty of Engineering or the Department of Management. And the paper was published in the Journal of Construction Management and Economics. So Drew, like last week with the PowerPoint slides, we've got people who are not in, in safety departments at universities and are not publishing their their safety research findings in a safety related journal. Do you think do you think this happens a bit? And do you think this sort of, you know, you know, what are the pros and cons of having sort of different disciplines doing safety research and publishing safety research in different journals? Uh, well obviously it's great to have safety cross-pollinated with lots of other fields of research. And when it works well, I think that is really good for safety research. I guess the risk is that 
um, from a research point of view, what we're getting might not be up to date with the parent field. So, you know, in the case of VR, we'd worry that, you know, is someone who's using VR for safety, a VR expert who's taking it into a new application, who might not know enough about safety, might be a little bit naive about what they're doing. Or are they someone from safety who's just grabbing the latest VR stuff without really knowing what's the best and appropriate ways to do VR research? When we get people who know both, when they understand safety and they team up with someone from another field or they become an expert in that other field, that's the best, where we get to like you genuinely combine the parent field. Uh, but even then, it gets a little bit harder for people consuming research because it's hard to know where to find the latest stuff. If you want to learn about VR, do you search for VR plus safety? Or do you just learn about VR? Or do you go to a journal where they publish lots of VR stuff? Or do you go to a safety journal and search for VR? It can be really hard to find and be sure that you're finding good recent stuff. And that then compounds if researchers have that same difficulty, so they can't build on research, they just end up reinventing things or going backwards. Yeah, I know it can be it can be hard to to be confident that you've thrown your arms around the body of literature when you're looking into a different topic, given how many different disciplines some of the uh, concepts that we're trying to understand in safety can show up. So, in the, but in this study, the um, the researchers they they essentially they're, they're, the going in assumptions to their research was that the ability to identify safety risks in the workplace is acquired by people through their training and their experience. The researchers were already questioning traditional training methods that they saw in the construction industry. So their hypothesis was that providing safety training in a VR sort of virtual reality safety training in a construction site environment will be more effective than traditional training methods. And by traditional, they meant sort of face-to-face -face classroom style training methods, written information, PowerPoint, and some of those things that we spoke about last week. So their method for this, Drew, and I'll, I'll run through this quickly. They basically built a virtual construction site so that they could compile a set of training scenarios. They based the scenarios that they designed on another study that had identified the most frequent types of construction accident scenarios. And they had sort of three chapters to their, their training. Section number one was just general site hazards, site safety requirements, rules, and PPE, the types of things that you get in a typical safety induction. The second was safety for a specific job of cast in situ concrete. So they'd actually design this, this VR training to be, this is how you do this job and this is the safety requirements for this specific job on this site. And then the third was, again, another specific job of stone cladding work. And this was on the facade of the building. And basically it's like, this is how you do stone cladding work. This is the process and this is the, the safety requirements along the way. So they had 66 participants. Um, they split those up into three sets of 20 to 25. There was a bit of differences between the groups. So two of the groups were construction workers and the second group was third year civil engineering students with limited construction experience. So they could kind of compare groups that had been on construction sites and, and groups that, that hadn't been on construction sites before. And they tested their safety knowledge immediately prior to the training, immediately after and one month after. So Drew, they were trying to give people, here's some people who are doing some normal training. Here's some people who are doing some VR training. Here's what you knew before. Here's what you knew straight after. And here's what you knew in a month's time. The questions they sort of asked were just open questions about identifying hazards and then some specific behavior questions like in this situation, how would you behave and, and so on. So Drew, how do you feel about this design? So as a method. So one thing I love about the papers last week and this week is they're measuring training and they're thinking hard about what's the actual point of the training. You, we're not talking about student satisfaction with training. 
we're not talking about just giving them a quick multi-choice test. We're saying, what do they know beforehand? What do they know immediately afterwards? And then have they actually learnt that, as opposed to just having you know, encountered the information and it's still sticking around in their brain? Um, and this is something you'll find a lot in education literature, is sort of before, immediately after, then wait a month or a couple of months and see whether the information has stuck. Yeah, so not to gloss over that, I did gloss over that actually, Drew, but, you know, when they were doing the questioning, they were asking people like, for example, you know, here's a situation you find, how would you behave, you know, in this situation or all the way through to normal types of recall. So it was it was fairly targeted towards the outcomes that they'd want from normal types of training. So, look, Drew, there's three pages of statistical tests and results in this in this article. Um, I don't know if you want to go into the into um, the tests of statistical significance, but uh, so there's a lot of statistics there, but I don't I don't understand all of it. Drew understands a lot more than me, but uh, in the interest of time for the podcast, what they basically found was there was quite a significant advantage in work related training in terms of the VR training experience. So for the stone cladding work and for the cast in situ concrete, where people are going through a work process and having the safety information integrated into that work process, their knowledge both immediately after and one month after was greater than the traditional training methods. But interestingly, Drew, there was no clear advantage for general site safety. So this means from this study that VR is not necessarily a more effective way of conveying the general safety knowledge that we would normally convey in an induction. And you think only one of those work practices was actually significantly greater retention after one month. But Drew, it's interesting, like it, it wasn't that compelling in the findings for me, but the authors did strongly conclude that incorporating VR in construction safety training is 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 recommended. But I'm not I'm not kind of so sure based on on the results in the study. Yeah, so I think this comes back to what I was saying before about researchers wanting to play with cool toys. You don't want to publish your paper on VR in construction safety and conclude, you know, this is kind of a dead end. Let's go back to preparing PowerPoints for people. You want, you want an excuse to keep trying out your VR toolkit. And that's, I guess, one of the problems with academic publishing too, is we get to see this as a electronic black and white PDF. And we've got no idea whether when they talk about using VR, whether it didn't work very well because VR is bad or whether it didn't work very well because actually they didn't do a great job and they do need more money to produce a better VR, VR training. And if they have a better VR training, then maybe it will work. So I think they are overstating their conclusion, but I do have a lot of sympathy with, uh, we haven't shown it's bad, and you give us more money and we'll try to make it work may in fact be the next step. Yeah. And then, I mean, one of these things, which I, I sort of wrote in here, but um, there was some better recall after one month of the training outcomes for the VR group sort of across all three. And, you know, the, the authors sort of conclude that, you know, the VR experience translates into, into sort of better, better learning outcomes. And I was kind of like, yeah, but if the researchers came along a month later and said, oh, do you, rem do you remember that cool VR thing we did a month ago? Do you remember what was covered in that? Versus, you know, saying the same thing to a group of people who just had a normal kind of classroom thing. They might, there's a finding that from another paper in 2006 that actually goes, oh, yeah, I can recall that information when you, when you prompt me. But there's kind of no information that suggests that they were applying that knowledge to their work situations in the one month in between the two kind of like tests of their recall. Yeah, what I think is most interesting out of this is the difference between the general training and the 
uh, work scenario training. And I think this is the sort of thing that can be reasonably taken out of preliminary work like this, is it does suggest that if we are going to spend more money on this, we are going to do more research, then the way to follow up is down that idea of simulating particular work tasks rather than using our cool VR toy just to replicate generic hazard training. Drew, I think we we know the importance of the use of flight simulator training in the aviation industry and things like that, where we can simulate different scenario, different real potential operational scenarios, and we can actually train, expose people to risk in a way that doesn't actually put them at physical risk and, and, and develop skills in that way. And I know, like, I think the Griffith Aviation School have just purchased a whole lot of VR headsets so they can actually help students with, you know, normal phases of flight type training. So you can have 20 students in the room doing VR phase of flight type training rather than, you know, one at a time trying to get get time through a simulator. So I think there's there's real application for us to think about, like you said, in safety in relations to simulated work environments. But deciding that you're going to invest money to replace your general induction training into a VR headset induction training probably isn't going to change your outcomes of that training. That's probably a good point then to move on to the next paper, which we're doing a little bit of an accelerate forward in time, eight years, I think. Uh, so what does the slightly more research, recent research say? Yeah, so I kind of thought, Drew, like I thought, oh, well, the VR technology is going to have come a long way in eight years and something like that. So I thought maybe maybe in that first paper, the VR environment was just not not real enough and, and we, we can't see the environment that was used. And, you know, they had some limitations um, with, the actual how immersed they could they could get the participants into that environment. So I thought we'd go to a go to a more recent paper. And this this second paper was titled Comparing Immersive Virtual Reality and PowerPoint as Methods for Delivering Safety Training. Impacts on risk perception, learning and decision making. I love it already from the title. <laughs> I thought you'd like me to bring you along a, a, a paper with uh, PowerPoint in the title. But clearly they were looking at comparing virtual reality and PowerPoint for delivering safety training and what impact it had on risk perception, learning, and decision-making. So five authors based across two universities in Germany, Leder, Horlitz, Pushman, Wittstock, and Schutz. And again, not from safety departments, but it was published in the Journal of Safety Science, Drew, which is a very reputable safety journal. So now we've got, we've got researchers who are not in safety departments, but they're publishing their safety findings in a safety journal. Do you see, you're an editor, you're an um, associator of safety science, Drew, do you see a a lot of submissions from outside sort of safety departments coming towards safety science? Uh, the honest answer is we do, and very often we just throw them back in the pond. Uh, what tends to happen is people have this finding and they say, well, it's vaguely related to safety, so let's publish it in a safety journal. But the contribution it's making isn't an advance in safety, it's an advance in measuring personality or it's an advance in doing VR or it's an advance in machine learning. And its application to safety is kind of incidental to the main contribution it's making. Sometimes we get stuff that actually says something genuinely new about safety. And I think this study is, so this study is directly talking about how we train people in safety. So it's obviously relevant and within the scope of the journal. I got the exact same response, Drew, when I tried to publish one of my safety papers in a management journal, <laughs> which was actually, this is probably better off going back in a safety journal. So, um, I've, I've seen that template response. So, so here we had two experimental studies. So, so basically study number one, there was 53 apprentices um, that were split up and they either did PowerPoint training or they did immersive VR training. 
and the researchers measured whether the learner's conscientiousness or locus of control moderated the effects of safety training. So they they found out of this study one, which was kind of a preliminary study, that um, the people in the VR group had a change in risk perception in terms of the probability for their judgment of risk. And they so they saw risks as not as risky after they'd been in the VR environment. And this is actually something that was found in the in the first study too that I didn't mention that once people, if people had just done a traditional training, they saw things as more dangerous than if they'd gone through the VR simulation and then they actually rated down in terms of the probability and judgment for risk. So Drew, can you think of why people might rate risks lower after they've been in a VR experience? I, I think it's because the presentation of the information doesn't have context when it's just on a slide. If you gave me a list of 10 things to worry about and one of them was like falls, that's very different from being, you know, I might be imagining falling off a 10-story building and then I go into the VR environment and I'm just looking down a meter. I'm not going to worry so much. You hear about electric hazards and then you go into the environment, the electric hazard is, is the cord plugged in? I think having that sort of specificity and the context can give people... I doubt it's actually less risk perception. I think it's probably more accurate or more real, realistic risk perception. But that's just a personal guess. Yeah, the researchers got really interested in this, and so they ran study two, and they actually, which was which was which was again good and, and a good lesson for people doing experimental study design is don't necessarily run one experiment and uh, and find something and then publish it. And that might be why psychology has been going through a bit of a replication crisis, at least in this study and the study we did last last week. People actually tried to replicate their own findings before they published. So these, these uh, researchers, they ran a second study and they couldn't replicate these results of study one. And so after study two, and we'll talk a little bit about the method in detail, but they basically concluded as a spoiler that, which was, I suppose, which was quite good for the researchers to just say, we didn't find anything. They concluded that the costly procedure of developing immersive virtual reality does not seem justified for safety training because the less costly PowerPoint procedure with vivid film scenes did not fare significantly worse in respect to these perception of risk outcomes, learning outcomes and decision making. So I I added in there about PowerPoint and vivid film scenes, Drew, because I want to actually be really clear in the design here as to why they ended up where they did. But do you want to say something before I do? No, I think what you're about to say is exactly what I'm interested in, which is that I kind of suspect that they tried too hard to make the PowerPoint and the virtual reality identical, except for whether it was VR. And as a result, they were basically putting PowerPoint slides into a VR environment rather than creating an actual virtual experience. Yeah, and I think that was, I mean, we talked about research degrees of freedom and, and, and dilemmas, and they obviously really wanted to isolate this immersive VR experience. So you're exactly right. What they, so what they did, is, and they controlled it actually really tightly. So they took high school students, some were apprentices, but none had very much experience with the actual work or the machines involved in the training. So they basically couldn't have that. So the, the group of participants didn't have individual experience with the work and experience with the risk that could kind of confound it. They made the PowerPoint basically contain as identical content as they could to the VR. So they had vivid videos like you'd, you'd see in the movies. They had static sequences that were clipped out of the VR scenarios and things like that. So really the only difference was one group was wearing the headsets and had an immersive experience and the other group was watching screens um, with PowerPoint slides with embedded videos and things like that. And then they went and measured 
these are these things like risk perceptions where they ask people to assess the probability and severity potential of accident scenarios they ask people to recall their knowledge of hazards in the training and then they ask people to choose between a safe and an unsafe machine and why they thought it was safe and unsafe so they were testing kind of applied knowledge and drew in that context they found well actually the vr doesn't make a difference from a really really good design powerpoint slide yeah and my takeaway from this is that they were so, trying so hard to be fair and so hard to be careful about what was used in each format that they didn't use a lot of the possible potential compared to someone who was actually you know, trying hard to make the VR work to the extent of using features in VR that aren't available in other forms of training. Um, now, I don't want to pretend that I know the answer here that whether VR can be of benefit or not. But I think that by being so fair, they haven't yet answered that question. It's like, you know, watching The Phantom Menace and then watching The Phantom Menace with 3D goggles and deciding that 3D goggles are no good because they didn't make it into a better movie. Yeah, I think think that's it. So so I think the question here would be is um, if you had your current traditional safety training, we wouldn't want you to form the conclusion from this paper that spending you know, a lot of money on a VR environment isn't going to be better than what you're currently doing. We're not saying that at all. There's a fair chance that it would be or could be better than what you're currently doing. What we're saying is if you invested the same amount into your uh, PowerPoints as you would go and then invest into VR in terms of the content, then you wouldn't necessarily have to take the step to, to going towards VR. But you know, I wouldn't want to listen to Runoff and say, oh, no, we're not entertaining any ideas around VR because our existing PowerPoints are just fine. Yeah, the other thing that I think we should point out is the one thing that they didn't measure was whether the PowerPoint itself actually worked. So we only have the sort of comparison of endpoints, which is a fair way of doing it, given that these were students who supposedly didn't know much beforehand. But it would have been good just to have that extra measure to check how much learning did they actually get out of the PowerPoints. So the answer from this study, the one possible interpretation is that VR was as bad as PowerPoint. Another possible interpretation is PowerPoint was as good as VR. So Drew, let's do some let's do some practical takeaways and then we might talk because I think both of us went and had a bit more of a dig into into the world of VR as well, just trying to make sure that we weren't just missing something big and have one of our listeners come and kind of just lob something really obvious over over the fence at us. But do you want to talk a little bit more about any any practical takeaways that our listeners could could take away? Sure. So I guess the first big takeaway we have to take and this, I think, is fairly consistent when, with the broader reading that we've each done. That at the moment, you can't say, hey, there is strong evidence that VR is going to significantly improve your training of sort of general safety topics. So if you're investing in VR, you're doing it as exploratory, innovative, testing out untried waters to see if you can get an improvement you're not following in the footsteps of people who've done it and shown that it's worked. Yeah, so the the caveat to that would be potentially if you're using your VR for simulated work environments. Um, again, just to go back to like what what's done with uh, with training pilots in flight simulators and and creating real work scenarios. If you if you if you're creating environments that provide people with experience in different situations that directly re- relevant to their work tasks. So it's sort of a work training tool as opposed to safety concept or safety knowledge transfer tool, then you know that's a different I think 
Drew, we'd probably say that's a slightly different question and we might have a different answer to that. Yes, and that would extend also to not just normal work situations, but to emergency situations as well. There's a separate body of research on using VR to study evacuations and to train people in how to handle really stressful situations. And we just haven't looked at that literature for this episode. So we're talking here about using this for your training people in things like identifying the hazards of a workplace, understanding what the risks are for those purposes. For that question, the answer is no benefit shown for VR, maybe with a yet question mark after it. Um, but we're not answering the question about using it to train in work tasks or in emergency situations. And I think that's probably a good step off point, Drew, to talk a little bit about the broader literature, because I I had a bit of a look through and there is definite applications of VR into like the healthcare environment for handling uh, the training of surgeons and, and healthcare providers in emergency situations. There's quite a lot in disaster response. There's quite a bit in the fire and evacuation space, not only for simulating evacuations, but then using the way that people do evacuate in a VR environment to go back and inform building design and evacuation plan development and things like that. So there's, there's, there's quite a lot in the VR research space, as you can imagine, in the last 20 years. And we don't want anyone to walk away with um, saying that David and Drew said that, uh, that VR isn't useful. No, and I think there are two sort of clear threads that you can look at to distinguish between those spaces. Uh, one of them is the use of VR to collect information. And there's definitely a massive body of work in everything from uh, medicine to flight simulators to emergency simulations, where the idea is we create a very realistic situation. We look at how humans behave in that situation because it would be entirely unethical to actually put humans in that situation to study how they behave. So with no risk or with very, very much reduced risk, we can study humans using VR. So that's, that's a clear application. Um, the second one is where we are using them for training. But again, it's putting humans into situations which are really hard to put them in. So in the aviation, the trouble is that emergencies just don't happen often enough to put people into emergencies a lot. And it would be unethical to cause emergencies just to train people. And so we give them those situations in a safer environment. And that's the sort of thing where VR not just has promise, but that promise has been realised in a lot of cases. It's the idea that just using it, just making training more exciting or making training more immersive, as opposed to making it more specifically real, that's the one that hasn't been shown. And it's similar to the literature on, you know, can people learn by playing games? The idea is make it more real, make it more vivid, make it more exciting, people will learn more. Not actually, not actually necessarily so. People love learning using games, but they don't necessarily learn anymore. People like being in VR, but they don't necessarily learn anymore. So maybe that that practical takeaway that maybe we didn't say is um is you know be deliberate in what you measure and measure as an evaluation of the effectiveness of your training. And if it's a questionnaire that says, "Did you enjoy this training session?" Then by all means, if that's your measure of success, then VR is likely to get you a, a potentially better result. But uh, that's not necessarily the outcome of, of of training that we're all that we're all after. And if that is your measure of success, then um, providing people with good food and coffee at the training is much, much cheaper than giving them a VR headset. And potentially keeping it short, letting them get on with their job as well. So, Drew, what would we like? What are, what are some things we might like to know from our listeners? So I'd love to know how people are using VR. 
I think I've made a few jokes about it being your fun technology and a toy. Uh, But the genuine thing is that it's one of those solutions in search of problems to solve. And I'm sure people are using it for interesting things. They're finding interesting problems to solve with it. Um, So I'd love to know what sort of things people are using. The other one that I'm interested in, which is we haven't covered on this episode, but I'm not aware of a lot of research, so good to just know, is augmented reality. So that's where you do things like have you you look through your mobile phone at the environment and it marks up the environment with certain features, either through training or through automatic identification. So I'd love to know what sort of things people are using in safety and what sort of ideas they have and how well it's working for them. That sounds like an invitation for uh, Cam Stevens to contact the show, Drew, who's now working for an AR technology company on looking at uh, safety safety solution design. So there you go, Cam, give us a... Give us a lowdown. So, Drew, at Christmas time, one of the uh, one of the other dads at my son's school just gave me a recommendation for uh, a new VR headset that he got at Christmas time, and said he lost about a week of his life just exploring his new headset. So, I think after this episode, I might have to go out and get myself one, and then report back to our listeners in a future podcast about uh, what I what I think of it. Uh, D- David, I think we've established which one of us is more committed to spending time playing computer games. So in the service of a podcast, if you get hold of it, I'll be very happy to put in that work for you. We'll do some kind of controlled experiment between the two of us. So Drew, today we asked the question, uh, is virtual reality safety training more effective? Do you want to have a go at the answer? Well, I, th- I think the answer is for generalist safety training, probably not. Unless what you're doing is providing simulations of real-world scenarios, either work scenarios or emergency situations, uh, with the safety practices built in. Great. So that's it for this week. We hope you found the episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. Join in the conversation on LinkedIn or send any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes to us at feedback at safetyofwork.com.